Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everybody, welcome to another slightly echoey episode of Tuesday Night Jaw on the Distraction Pieces Network. My name is Jim, I am your host for every episode of Tuesday Night Jaw thus far in our year and a half of being around on the wonderful Distraction Pieces Network. Thanks Mr. Scroobius Pip. Uh, Do check out all the other podcasts on the network. So, um, apologies for the echo, I've moved into a new house. Uh, as you're probably aware, and it's a typical new house in that all the walls are white, and I'm sat in my new kitchen, and it's a bit echoey, so apologies for that. Um, so today's podcast, I am chatting via Skype to the king of the old school, the legend that is Steve Carino, someone that I met, I think, in April for the first time um, when I was uh, when I attended uh, NXT TV tapings just after WrestleMania, after we'd been over there. Uh, doing progress shows and doing access and stuff like that and um, I loved Steve when he was in ECW I loved Steve's work in Zero One in Japan and and was a big fan of him and when I met him I realised not only um, sometimes when you meet people and they're your hero they don't always live up to what you're expecting Steve is a lovely guy and so enthusiastic about wrestling and that is something that really comes through as part of this interview that I recorded uh, last night. Now, um, uh, Steve is super positive and awesome about everything to do with wrestling. A couple of little apologies. We recorded this by Skype. Um, I'd always prefer to speak to people in person. Uh, last time I was out in Florida, I really wanted to interview Steve in person, but I just ran out of time and didn't get a chance to do it. So we've done it by Skype. We'll probably do a second instalment of it, if you've got any extra questions for Steve, um, the next time I'm anywhere near him and can actually do it in person. I always prefer to do interviews in person. Um, because we're doing it by Skype, I, I've messed around with the sound quality a little bit so you know I've tried to boost it up where it goes a bit quiet or quiet down where it goes a bit loud but do be aware of that if you listen to this on headphones do be aware that the sound does go a little bit quiet a little bit loud also for some reason and this has never happened when I use my Skype recording device before um, whenever I ask the question that would make Steve go really quiet so um, I've tried to keep my talking to the minimum also you don't need to hear me you hear me every week um, so uh, my questions and my reactions to Steve aren't as uh, as lively as they will be normally just because I'm trying to make sure that I don't uh, mess around with the audio when he's talking um, uh, and answering questions. So um, 
So yeah, so just a slight apology for the, the audio quality because it is via Skype, but it's a great chat and all the stuff Steve says, his attitude towards wrestling, his positivity is all absolutely brilliant and I'm delighted he spent time, came straight home after the performance, he'd been at the Performance Centre all day and he'd driven there from his home in North Carolina, so he'd had I think an 11 hour drive, gone straight to work after about an hour's sleep um, and then worked all day. Uh, did a sort of 10 hour day at the performance centre and then went straight back to his apartment and Skype me which is awesome of him so you know he's at WWE Carino you'll hear at the end of the of the podcast he he wants to hear people's favourite wrestling memories he just loves talking about wrestling so add him on Twitter tweet him he's a good good dude so WWE Carino on Twitter Um, my plugs um, I've got a few t-shirts left now the uh, Cheer Faces Boo Heels t-shirts not loads left um, I'm not going to get any more in so if you want to get one uh, maybe get one now before I move on to the next design and some other merch uh, probably just before Christmas um, so yeah jimsmormon.com slash tnj is where you can point people in the direction of this podcast uh, you can see all the episodes that we've done so far and you can find a link right at the top of the page to go to my Backstreet merch store um, in order to be able to buy our t-shirts. There's uh, slightly less stock on black than there is white. Uh, last time I checked, there was only four sizes left on white and only three sizes left on black uh, of our awesome t-shirts. Um, and, and they're really nice. I'm not just saying this because it's my merch, but they are really nice. Um, I'm glad I splurged on having decent shirts made. So uh, jimsmallman.com slash TNJ for that. Um, I kind of run a wrestling company um, with my two friends. Um, we have shows coming up. Uh, the end of this month is our next show. It feels like a long gap between shows. Um, but our next show is at the end of this month uh, in Camden. Sold out, as always. Uh, and then we've got a show in Manchester at the beginning of November. That's sold out. We'll have a show at the end of November in London, which will go on sale on October 30th. Um, season tickets for our London shows are on general sale tomorrow, which is Wednesday the, I want to say Wednesday the 11th, is that correct? I think so. Um, so um, they're on sale tomorrow, general sale, the, the season ticket renewals have already been on sale this week and a lot of people have renewed, which we're super grateful for. So progresswrestling.com uh, is where you go if you would like to buy a season ticket to guarantee your tickets for all of our electric ballroom shows and our three super strong style shows. Um, at Alexandra Palace in 2018. Uh, saves a lot of stress on trying to get tickets as well. I know a lot of people do it. Um, it just takes a lot of stress out of it. So, season tickets on sale tomorrow. Um, and you can buy tickets for Wembley at the minute, um, which is just less than a year away. September the 30th, 2018, uh, our show, which will be at Wembley Arena, which is insane if you think about it little tiny independent wrestling company started by three mates doing a show at Wembley Arena I already know loads of people are planning on travelling from overseas for this show it's so cool um, and we're starting to make plans for it so um, come to it if you can um, all the really expensive tickets have gone and by really expensive it, you know it's still a lot cheaper than most shows you could ever gigs and that you could ever go and see at Wembley Arena so um, yeah tickets are £35 uh, progresswrestling.com for more information on that and also progress merch and stuff like that we've got loads of cool hoodies and things like that available at the moment and demand-progress.com is where you watch all of our shows including uh, our all-female tournament from last week uh, Revelations of Divine Love which has got a lot of love 
ironically enough, uh, from people on the internet. I've not watched it back yet. Um, I've seen it mainly in GIF form. Um, you know a show's good when there's a lot of GIFs about it. So um, I'm very much looking forward to seeing that. Um, uh, so yeah, demand-progress.com, progresswrestling.com for that stuff. jimswarmer.com slash TNJ. Rate, review, subscribe to this here podcast because it just helps me out if you do that. helps keep it to the forefront of iTunes and stuff like that. So please do all that stuff and support everything on the Distraction Pieces Network. I think that's all the plugs. And I'm going to eat some cereal. You're going to listen to Steve Carino. It's a great chat. I'm so pleased he came on. Um, I think you'll find his positivity is so infectious. What a great guy. Right, I'll see you at the end. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Well, hello, Mr. Carino. Hello, how are you? I'm, I'm good, thank you, mate. I'm good. Um, uh, how are things over in Orlando? They're hot, sometimes rainy. I get that a lot very quickly. Uh, but besides that, everything is really good. Did you, did, did you get caught up in the hurricane at all? Well, here was the thing. The, the hurricane, because of where I live in North Carolina, I'm so used to the hurricane warnings, and usually they never hit. So this I, I took with a grain of salt, and I was I was frustrated right away because everybody like ran to Walmart or ran to Publix and got you know eighteen gallons of water per person and this and that. And I was just like this craziness, absolute craziness. So once it started, that's when I said, "Oh man, I think this is really going to happen." So um, I drive a Jeep, and my Jeep is like my most prized possession. It's a '92. Jeep Wrangler, but you, you would think that it was a like a 2017 gold-plated thing. You know, I, I just love, you know, I, I I love my kids, I love my Jeep, I love my wife, kind of in that order. Um, <laughs> my wife will never listen to this, so it's okay. <laughs> so once the um, the wind started blowing, I I texted the the performance center business manager who has a Jeep and is a big Jeep fanatic too. I said. What do I do? He goes, take off your top. So once I took my shirt off, then I was wondering, wow, this is getting really weird. 
but he meant like the, the, my roof. So I took my roof off, and then around my apartment complex, they just planted these trees. So I said, once the wind started blowing, I said, you know what? I'm going to push one of these trees over and like protect my Jeep. Yep, I was fine. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love that the, the biggest fear was not where you live, but much more the, the Jeep. Oh, yeah, that was, that was the only thing I feared for. And I thought, like, I'm a genius. I, I live near the airport. What I'll do is I'll take it to the airport, park it in the airport parking, and then take an Uber back to my apartment. And, yeah, apparently, like, 15,000 other people in Orlando thought the same thing. And <laughs> closed, like, three days before. I'm like, crap, what am I going to do? It's, at least you had a plan, dude. You know, I mean, it, it was weird for it was weird for me when the hurricane was happening because I've been in Florida during a hurricane before, but not one of of that magnitude. And and all of a sudden realised that I've got loads of friends who live in Orlando now. Like five years ago, I didn't have loads of friends who lived in Orlando, and then all of a sudden it was, oh, I hope everyone's okay. It was it was bizarre. Um, so I have. I have some questions for you. Um, uh, my, my first question for you, before we get into wrestling matters, is, is based purely on something that I know from, from having met you and having spent some time with you, is how much money per week do you spend in the uh, American gas station chain Wawa? Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, okay, I'll admit. I might have a problem. I stop every morning to get a cup of coffee. So that's like a dollar eighty-five, And then, of course, I always get my gas from there. So maybe another $20 a week. Uh, but then I buy the Melissa, the um, office manager. Mm. I get her a cup of coffee once a week, too, because her job is like a thankless job because she has 92 people or how many we have at the performance center that ask her the dumbest questions every day. And I think she answers my questions every day. Like, and they're dumb. Uh, where do I get toilet paper? And it'd be right in front of my face. And I buy her a cup of coffee once a week. You know, that's like my, I don't know why it's like a dollar 85 cup of coffee. So I work five days a week. I'm here usually seven. I'm usually here 20 days. I, I spend a lot of money at Wawa. Now I, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a little, insight i don't know if we ever talked about this before but when i was a kid i used to work at wawa no no i'm gonna blow your mind even more (laughs) not the store but the actual dairy yes i was a milkman what mate this has blown my mind yeah three generations of my family worked for wawa dairies up in pennsylvania outside philadelphia so like pasteurization I, I worked in a warehouse I worked in warehousing and, and distribution and I literally worked there until May of 1999 and uh, I've been in ECW from November 1998 <coughs> I, I literally did my first pay-per-view against Balls Mahoney in Asbury Park New Jersey and I, I definitely was concussed I don't think concussions were a thing back then hmm. and um yeah, I, I drove right to work because I had to work at five a.m. the next morning, and uh, yeah, so like I I have a I have a connection to Wawa. So like, if any of your fan uh, Progress fans come over to Orlando or Philadelphia area and they go to a Wawa, they're buying a little bit of me. 
I can't believe we've never discussed this before because <laughs> I'm aware fully of your 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 Wawa obsession. Oh well, yeah, and that's the thing. It's, it, I worked there through college. I, you know, my father worked there. His his father worked there. Um, Shawn Michaels asked today. He's like, "Do you have a Wawa coffee?" He's like, "I heard that's a thing." I'm like, "Oh, Shawn, let me blow <laughs> you here." And my relationship with Shawn Michaels is. I'll say something stupid just to see the reaction on his face. So, of course, that's the first thing he's thinking is, is Steve messing with me again? And I don't, I, like, I'm trying to tell him, like, no, no, I really did. I worked in pasteurization with raw milk and this and milk fat. And, you know, he. I'm the boy that cried wolf now because I mess with him so much that now now he doesn't believe my I was a milkman. You mentioned Sean there, but... Sort of skipping ahead to when you you started your career, you did sort of um, uh, dark matches and squash matches for for WWE early on, didn't you? So you would have been presumably would have been around Sean like really early in your career. Uh, let's just say we were on different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> um, I, I met him once in a hallway, and it was during a bad time. Um, so he doesn't remember it. I remember it. Uh, but he was a different person back then. So, mm. and uh, but yeah, I was a, I was a job guy from 1996 to 1998. I actually uh, did a job on Shotgun Saturday Night against the Oddities, which showed the night I debuted in ECW. Uh, see, I looked up your WWE history on the internet earlier on to to see if those matches were listed because I remember last time I saw you, you mentioned that you you once won a match at Madison Square Garden. Is that correct? I, I told you who overshadowed me that night, right? Yes. <laughs> Tell the story again. <laughs> Jeez, let's put Stone Cold and Vince McMahon, Stunner and Vince McMahon for the first time. Jeez, I won a dark match that night, darn it. <laughs> WWE wins that I have. Well, also as well, that was it's not something that's as much of a thing now, but but when people were breaking into the business, like you were in the in the nineties, it, it it was a thing that you you went and did, wasn't it? Nearly everybody seemed to do the the job matches back in the day. Oh yeah, and and we loved it because when you, you're making on the American Indies back in the nineties. I don't know what it is now. I, I feel like I've been gone forever. But when you first start out, and you're making twenty five or thirty dollars or forty dollars a match, and then. You, you can go to a WW back then WWF show and you're working with guys that are on television that and you're learning more in a four minute squash match where you're not getting any offense in. You're learning more than if you're working in your uh, local town against the same guy that you wrestled a hundred times at your same you know uh, level of experience. So it, it, and then you were making. You know, back then, I you know, I don't know what it is now, but it was two hundred and fifty dollars. So you're making seven times what you're used to making, and you're allowed to eat at catering. It was like the greatest thing ever. It like I, I had a blast. I I did a lot of shotgun Saturday night matches. I did a bunch of darks. Um, I, I wrestled crushing like six different gimmicks. It's not my, um, including a fan spot in the crowd where. He was debuting Jailbird Crush, and I was the kid in the front row uh, chanting Jailbird at him. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> People look that up. <laughs> it, I mean, 
when you were growing up, was was it always going to be the case that you were going to be a wrestler, or was it because you would you must have been sort of very early twenties when you were doing this WWE stuff? So you must have you must have started training fairly early. No, I, you know what? I broke in in 1994, so I would just I was almost 21 when I uh, when I had my first match. So and then I, I trained for six months before then. I was a uh, I was a high school baseball player. I played a little bit in college. I had some problems with my knees. Blah blah blah. The real story is I couldn't hit a curveball to save my life, and you know I, I wasn't going to the major leagues or be drafted or or you know date the high school cheerleader. <laughs> and, you know, I'm crying, um, but I loved wrestling. Wrestling was my love, and I just happened to stumble on an advertisement at a, a nightclub and here's here's where like my crazy life always like intersects like pop culture do you remember the band great white yes i do yes now do you remember back in like maybe 95 96 they had um in i, I think it was the boston area over in the states the um they had an incident at a nightclub where, like, the nightclub burned down and, like, 50 people died. I do remember it, and that's why they first – that was the first time I think I was ever aware of them as a band was because of that incident. Well, so a couple years before then, I saw them in a bar called the Silo Nightclub in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour and 15 minutes west of Philadelphia. Same scenario, like, small bar, maybe 150 people. And Great White was playing, and my buddies wanted to go. I didn't want to go. I only knew once bitten, twice shy, and I didn't really even like it that much. But um, they would they would let people in that were close to 21 and stuff like that. But I saw a wrestling poster there, and at the bottom it said, uh, if you want to be a professional wrestler, call Dio's Dungeon. And it had the phone number, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Um, and, like, to this day, 23 years later, I still remember the phone number. Like – I don't even remember what I had for lunch. Okay, that's a lie. I had peanut butter and jelly. But, you know, you know, so I still remember the phone number. And what I did was back in that day, I wrote a letter. I found the address to where the phone number went to because the Internet wasn't really a big thing then. Or at least I didn't know. And I wrote a letter to the um, the guy in charge, Jimmy Dio, who just got arrested for – Stealing like $350,000 worth of people's monies for used cars. So now you see what I'm dealing with. <laughs> I send him a a, a a letter and I say, you know, I want to be a wrestler. Three of my wrestler, uh, three of my friends want to be wrestlers too. And uh, any information you could give us. So I leave my phone number on there. He calls me and I'm talking to him on the phone and I'm like, my God, I read about this guy once in the results in Pro Wrestling Illustrated. He's a star. <laughs> and at a Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine, and they had an advertisement for Al Snow's Gym, the, the body slammers in Lima, Lima, Ohio. And um, <laughs> so he goes, do you have any experience? And I, Jim, I do not know why I did this. <laughs> but I, uh, yeah, I, uh, I just got back from Al Snow's Gym. And I'm like, I immediately regretted it. Uh, it's like pitching an idea sometimes. I immediately regret it. <laughs> yeah, and the guy's like, oh, I know how. I'm like, oh, no, I'm dead, right? I don't, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not even 21 yet. Like, he's thinking, these are four guys that are going to sign up for my wrestling school and give me $3,000 each. You know, I'm thinking, oh, my God, Al Snow doesn't know who I am. 
so I went up there and I, uh, <laughs> I literally like worked my way through. Like I had, and this is going to seem so stupid now because you know kids are smartened up at birth about how wrestling works. I was 17 before I knew that Santa Claus wasn't real. And how I learned was I went, I was in the front row at the Philadelphia Spectrum at SummerSlam 90. Oh, yeah, go ahead, check your DVDs or your, your network. Or you, you can only see me for a second during Kerry Von Eric and uh, Kurt Henning. Or, uh, and you wouldn't recognize me because I'm dead. And so I had the dark matches Playboy Buddy Rose versus Shane. And they're going, and I'm enjoying it because I like wrestling. And Shane's about to make his comeback. And Buddy Rose, it looks like, it, it felt to me that Buddy Rose looked me in the eyes and said, give me a backdrop. And I went, did he just say, give me a backdrop? And here, like, it was like slow motion. Shane sends him off to the ropes. Here comes a backdrop, and here's 17-year-old Steve Carino. No. <laughs> That, like, oh, I think they talk in the ring. So the guy I'm wrestling with in the ring, I'm literally just working around and hauling stuff to him. I'm like, uh, body slam, drop kick. I'm like, does that combination even work? Do I even know how to do this? Oh my God, why does the mat hurt so bad? And I lied into wrestling school. I gave him $3,000. My other three friends um, bailed on the first week. And uh, yeah, that, that's, that's how I got in. And it took me um, probably a good 15 years before I could look Al Snow in the eye. <laughs> Did he, has he ever brought it up and said, said someone, someone mentioned you to me when, when you were really new? That's where uh, he was still in TNA. And somebody had gone to a seminar that I did. But, of course, they put it on their resume that they were trained by me. And he's like... I guess he was an idiot or something like that. So Al sends me a message and says, hey, do you know this kid? And I don't remember his name. I'd love to publicly shame him. Um, and I said, no, why? He goes, he said he was trained by you. I'm like, no. He goes, he goes can you imagine that? Somebody saying they were trained by somebody they weren't. Said, <laughs> I'm like, you know, question mark. He's like, years. He's like, you're my best student. I said, I'm so sorry, man. <laughs> like, so uh, yeah, it, it was a cool. It was a cool moment now being friends with Al that I used his name to get into wrestling school. So when you started out, if you were a wrestling fan, we, I presume you were aware that it, it, it wasn't necessarily going to be the case that you'd end up going to to WWF as it was at the time straight away. You'd have to work your way around because certainly your early days, you you. you you seem very keen to, to do as much as possible. You ended up in, in Puerto Rico and places like that as well, didn't you? So you, you always seem to have the the right attitude to, to work as much as possible. Oh, my goodness, yeah. It, like, to me, um, having my first match was, that was the ultimate goal. Like, everything else was is gravy now. Like, even today, like, I sit there and uh, I'm, I'm helping in promo class and William Regal sitting next and giving critiques and we're sitting next to each other. I'm like, Again, this is my life. Like this is crazy, but yeah, I, I worked around the independence. I would go anywhere I could. I would drive. Luckily, I had the 
the job at the dairy. So like it was a union job. So I was making pretty good money so that I, I could afford to, you know, take the $20 payday or the, the zero payday sometimes. And, and, and it was, it was just a blast to get out there because where I lived, I lived in suburban Philadelphia and working at the dairy was a blue collar job where you got two weeks vacation or three weeks vacation. And maybe in those three weeks vacation, you had enough money to go to the Jersey shore, the, the famous Jersey shore for three or four days. That was it. Like if you went to New Jersey, like you were going to another country to me, like I was getting to wrestle in Delaware and North Carolina and Virginia, and I'm getting to see the world and, you know, WWF and WWE and ECW and WCW weren't, they weren't even thoughts. They were just like, oh my goodness, I, I'm getting to wrestle, you know, in Roanoke, Virginia and uh, in Winchester, Virginia at the, the, the Farm Expo. And it was mind boggling to me. So when I got chances to go to USWA in Memphis or WWC in Puerto Rico, Instead of thinking them as, oh, these are just stops on my way to the top, I was like, oh, my goodness, Jerry Lawler, Bill Dundee, and all these guys of the past. Or I went to Puerto Rico, and, you know, I would take a second and go, I'm teaming with Carlos Colon, the same guy that's not paying me what he's supposed to be paying me every week. <laughs> Carlos Colon. And, you know, the, the fan in me is never, ever left. And, and I think that's – one thing about professional wrestling that fans and wrestlers share is that that absolute love of what you do. And I love when I'll sit with a coach or a, another person at the performance center and we just talk about what we love about wrestling. And it reminds me of that movie Almost Famous when um, the reporter asked the guitar player, he goes, what do you love about music? And his answer is perfect. He says, to begin with, everything. And that that's, for me, that's professional wrestling. When people ask, what do you love about professional wrestling? I say, everything. Everything. Because for me, watching as an eight-year-old kid and, and watching Tommy Wildfire Rich or turning on USA Channel and... Southwest Championship Wrestling's on, and Tully Blanchard is bludgeoning Eric Emery, and there's blood everywhere. And I'm eight years old, and I don't know what I'm seeing, but I know that I'm drawn to it. And the theatrics and the storylines and the athleticism, and you just, it's the greatest drug that you'll ever have. I, I think you've summed up how I feel about wrestling and how pretty much every listener to this podcast feels about wrestling. It is, it's, and, and having met you as well, you are as as enthusiastic about it as as I'd want you to be. As someone who's been watching you for years, I love the fact that you're as enthusiastic about it as you are. You think I was a grumpy guy? Oh, you did, didn't you? People say that to me. They're like, "Oh, wow! I, I'm surprised that you're like as enthusiastic about wrestling as as you are." Like, I'm like, "Why? Did, do I come off grumpy?" <laughs> What? No. No. No, I don't think you've ever come across as grumpy. I think it's just you expect when someone's been around the business for a while just to – I expect – I look at it like I – with me doing stand-up comedy. I've been doing it only 12 years, but I'm probably not as enthusiastic about it as I used to be, whereas 
everyone I seem to meet who's been around wrestling for for a fair amount of time, I'm always surprised at how enthusiastic they still are. And I think that's I think that's really cool. Me too. And I, I never got the bitter guy. And, and it's funny, all people, Sean and Sean Michaels and I were talking about it last week of uh, guys that are so bitter about wrestling. And granted, like Sean was on top and he's Mr. WrestleMania. And I'm the guy that has this big dent in my bald head now that we're still trying to figure out where I got it from. And all these scars and I look like King Curtis Iakea now as opposed to ECW Steve Carino that looked like Michael P.S. Hayes. And we talk about, man, this ever, like, we have so much love for it. Like, how could you hate it? How could you, like, one day say, I just hate this business. I hate this this wrestling. Granted, you know, right now when I'm doing cardio, and yes, I do cardio for all of you that are watching. Like, it's very hard to maintain the fatness that I have right now. Like, if I don't do cardio, I'll just explain. And, and I'll look like King Curtis, I aka more. And so, like, I'll watch 1982 Georgia Championship Wrestling, and I look back and I'm like, oh, the matches weren't as good as I thought they were, but I'm still that nine year old kid now that is into the Freebirds and into Paul Orndorff and Buzz Sawyer and Tommy Wildfire Rich and Ole Anderson. And I remember what it was like to, to just love something so much that I still love it to, to this day. And hate the wrestling business it's just i just to me i can't i can't fathom it i can't understand it you know we all i mean i've had a lot it took me 23 years to get my first wwe check so you know it, it's one of those things do i like oh i hate it because i never made it to wwe or man my journey took me that long to get to wwe for a reason and that's the way i look at i try to look at life I think it's a it's a healthy way of looking at it, mate. I mean, let's go back to your first ever match because I'm curious to know more about it. Because you said your your goal was to have your first ever match. Who who was your first ever match against? Where was it, and how many people was it in front of? So it was in front of about a hundred and fifty, about sixty tickets that I sold, <laughs> and lived a good forty five fifty minutes away from the venue, and it happened to be that Silo nightclub in Reading, Pennsylvania. Which I don't even know if it's still around. I'll have to, I'll have to ask. My wife's from that area, so I'll have to ask. And um, I don't know why she would know. We live in North Carolina now, but who knows? And she's so young that she probably never went there. And um, so it was against the Mighty Mess Brothers, Mark and Troy Mess, who were actually the actual trainers at the wrestling school. And uh, yeah, it was April 6, nineteen ninety four, and I don't remember it. And I'm sure I have the VHS tape somewhere, and I'm sure it's awful. But it was a blast. Like, man, I I just remember just walking out there and, like, getting in the ring and going, oh, my God, I'm in a wrestling ring. And, you know, people are cheering and booing, and they don't know me. And I just went, this is the greatest thing ever. And I don't remember how the match went. I know we lost. I I don't remember. I, I probably only won seven matches in my career, but I, I remember that the the music was loud and it, everybody was packed in. Like I say, 150, but man, it felt like 5,000 were there because you're just into the moment. And so, yeah, the Mighty Mess Brothers and Mark Mess has become he's a he's a guy that he's 
these guys were two farm boys from Oley, Pennsylvania, which is up near Reading, that were, still work on their farm, still have their the wrestling school that they bought from Jimmy Dio. And, like, Mark can't be any nicer. And so, like I, like, I always try and put him over as the guy that trained me. I didn't learn a lot from that wrestling school. I, I really got trained a lot by Tom Brandy and King Kahlua. Uh, but it was Mark's rings and it, Mark's hospitality and Mark's, you know, niceness that allowed me to be a part of his wrestling school. So, you know, they still have the wrestling school. 25 years they've had it now. So um, I think I'm the only person that's probably, you know, made it. But, um, um, yeah, you know, that's it, – it, it's just cool moments like that. Hmm. I, I... I have to ask you about Puerto Rico as well. For for this just goes back to when I used to do tape trading and, and watch all kinds of crazy stuff from Puerto Rico. Is it as is it as nuts out there as as, as sort of people tend to talk about when I've listened to people on other podcasts and stuff like that? Well, I've gone down in there a few times. The first time I went down for an extended period was 1997. I was 24, thin, baby face. Um, you know, I, I was I was taking a lot of beatings, and the fans were pretty brutal there. And they, they would throw, you know, bottles of urine and, and car batteries and all this all this crazy stuff. Um, when I went down there for a year in 2008, 2009, where I was helping with the book and I was the lead heel and stuff, it was different. But then we would have hot angles to where those crazy fans would come back. And it was, to me, it was like a, a sign of, okay, we got them. We're, we're going to start drawing some money because, um, you know, somebody had a knife in the crowd or, and this, this is a weird thing. I was wrestling this kid. Um, his name is BJ. And we were, we were priming him to be like the next universal champion. We were, we were trying to get out of the, realm of the Carlos Colones and the Ray Gonzalez is like the older generation being the universal champion. And we wanted like a younger guy, a new, a new generation. Sure. So we were priming him and we had a, uh, a heel referee who was also part of the booking committee named uh, Guillotine Legrand. And Guillotine Legrand uh, is, a, is a New York guy and he'll never get credit for how smart he was. Like, Probably one of the best bookers ever seen, uh, you know, that no one knows his name. So, you know, he, we we're putting these angles together and we we're starting to draw some money and things were going good. Um, our paychecks were short every week, by the way. But that's <laughs> Rico way. So I'm fighting with BJ and we're out in the crowd and we're going at it. And there's this, you know, short, heavy set guy. This is 2009. I remember it like it was yesterday. Uh, this short, heavyset guy, and he's got a trench coat on. And he says something to me, and now the only Spanish I know are bad words. So he said something to me, which I, I took his derogatory because I was a heel, and I said something back to him, which, which is probably, I think it was something about his mother. Uh, all of a sudden, like, he goes, like, like, I felt like he was going into his pockets, and that quick, like, the security guard, who was awesome to us, tackled the guy and started yelling go home go home and that quick like bj like sprinted out of this like cell that he was in throws me in the ring says roll me up quick and i'm like what so i roll like we were supposed to do a dq i roll him up 
And the, another security guard is telling me and Legrand, who was the referee, get out, get out, get out, go, go, go. And as soon as we, as soon as we got in the locker room, Carlos is like, get in the car, get in the car. And we had like a, an underneath guy named uh, Mr. Ecky, Mr. X. He drove us all the way back to our apartment in San Juan. And about halfway there, Carlos calls me. And Car- to know Carlos Colon, it, like he always has a smile on his face. He's good cop where Victor Jovic is bad cop. But Carlos is hot at me. He's like, amigo, what are you doing? Like, what were you thinking? I'm like, what do you mean, Carlos? Like, we had good heat. Why did we have to rush out of there? He's like, that guy had a gun, man. Like, <sighs> who? Trench coat in Puerto Rico. It's hot all the time, I thought. Oh, no way. <laughs> that night over, you know, a couple adult beverages, we're just sitting there and like, I, I couldn't put together whether I was more shocked that, oh my goodness, I could have died in Puerto Rico, like, just like Bruiser Brody did, but like another wrestler wouldn't have stabbed me and murdered me. It would have been a, uh, allegedly, I'm giving you some quotes. And, uh, or it would have been a fan that shot me like, oh my goodness. And what would the headline have been like? Big fat white guy gets shot in Puerto Rico. I'm like, oh. And uh, so, um, but then on the other hand, I'm like, it's 2009. I got some great heat. So, like, Puerto Rico was a blast. I Like, if we would have got paid every week the way we were supposed to, I probably never would have left the island. That's that's how much fun I had. I was, I was newly divorced. I, I was living with Legrand and... At the time, we were, you know, helping book. So uh, we were WWC and then IWA, which was Sabio Vega. There was like this war going on where people would jump and stuff. But at our apartment, every Wednesday, we would open the door to our apartment and like IWA guys and WWC guys would come in and we would make 99 cent pasta. And, you know, everybody would have fun and talk about like, hey, man, like who's going to jump next? We thought it was like. Why can't we work this? Why can't the companies just work together? And uh, but it, yeah, like I have so many fond memories of Puerto Rico that I I don't care about the money. Like I ended up making money after, you know, mm. it's just money. But memories, man, memories are what last forever. Yeah, I think you're right, man. I, this is one thing that I think it can't only be exclusive to to Puerto Rico. But have you ever wrestled outdoors in the rain? Because that's the only place I've ever seen it happen on tape is Puerto Rico. Yes. Yeah, we used to – we would do the baseball stadium, but there's no uh, ringside seating. So, like, <laughs> I would be like – I'd look out and there's 300 people in an 8,000-seat uh, baseball stadium, but nobody's sitting close. And I'm thinking, man, they can't hear us. Like, <laughs> they can't hear us at all. Tackle, drop down, hip toss. Got it again. You know, it, it, I think every young person in wrestling should go to Puerto Rico for eight weeks, just eight weeks, because every ride is easy. You, you're home every night. You live near the beach. It's cheap. You're, you're going to get screwed on money, but that's okay because you're creating all these memories. And, man, like, Puerto Rico wrestling some of my favorite wrestlers like Puerto Rican people in general are some of my favorite people ever because they have such passion for whatever they do and I'm a big baseball fan too so whether it's baseball or wrestling or 
you know, even the, the dog track, they're so passionate. Like, you know, they wear their heart on their sleeve and it's, it's just a, an amazing culture and everybody should, everybody should try it. Everybody should save money because you're not going to make money. Save money, go there, use it as a vacation and create memories. It's a, a good tip, man. I, I, um, speaking of memories, first, this is, this is how I'm going to do a, a seamless segue, like I'm a top quality presenter. But um, my first memory of you is seeing you in ECW, um, which I think is probably, certainly over here is going to be most people's um, first recollection of you. Um, there's lots to cover in ECW, um, but... I think the, the the biggest stroke of genius you had was was turning up there and going, yeah, do you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be anti hardcore. That will work. <laughs> and it's it's crazy to think all these years later. It's almost twenty years. It's twenty years now that I came up with the character because um, ECW in Philadelphia was like a phenomenon. Hmm. But I lived outside Philadelphia to where. I was working all the indies, but I was noticing that the indies, there were guys that wanted to be ECW. And I thought, oh, this is cool. Like, they they really have something. And I thought, how would I fit into this world? And at the time, I was 170, 175, 180 pounds and tall and goofy. And I thought, how do, how do I survive in this world? And I thought to myself, what if I was the anti-hardcore? And I, I remember that Cactus Jack tried it and someone else tried it. Was it Shane Douglas? I think Shane tried it. But they were already established characters. Well, them doing it was just a shtick to get them to do it. Here, my selling point was, I know one. I am just a young kid that is so arrogant and thinks he's so above this that I'm going to sell this character so in 97 i was wrestling on an independent show with, for a guy named mike illions who was oh he was such a great guy and he had a little promotion called awc and um him and dave prazak from shimmer were running it and i said i have this idea because he had nova coming in all the time and sometimes the fbi and i said what if i was just that, like I was the anti-hardcore and I would just crap on them on the like crap on hardcore wrestling, not ECW, the company, but hardcore wrestling on the microphone. He's like, I love it. And I had known Nova since I broke in. So he loved it. And we just happened to be doing our program and people were coming. I was getting amazing heat and Dreamer came one time and he's like, you know, in the Dreamer way. I like what you do. You should keep doing that. And Bubba hated it. And to this day, Bubba's still mean to me. And I know that's shocking that you know Bubba was mean to somebody. <laughs> but um, so, like, when I got to ECW, I was just there because they had lost a bunch of guys after November to remember 98. Uh, they were giving – Nova was getting a change to his character. Paul had asked Nova, like, hey, do you have any indie guys that you think would be good? And Reckless Youth, do you remember that name? Yeah, dude. Yeah, like he was the guy. Everybody wanted to be Reckless Youth. And, and um, you know, Tom was such a fantastic talent. And Paul was like, I want to give this Reckless Youth a try. And that's where Nova sold 
Paul on, well, look, I got a guy. He's nothing like Reckless Youth. He does an anti-hardcore gimmick. And he's like, well, you can beat him on the first night. We'll give him a look. So I, I debuted at the ECW Arena, which was crazy because, you know, I, I went there as a fan. I was I was still wrestling. I, I just started wrestling, but I was there the night Shane Douglas threw down the NWA World's title. Like, no, no way. Yeah, I was a fan in the crowd. I was like, oh, what is this? And um, so for me to debut there, and Dreamer was awesome. He's like, look, man, just go out there and do your thing. Get yourself over. Nova needs a good match to do this new character. So, you know, he beats you at the end, but go out there and steal the show. That's what we do in ECW. And I thought, okay. So they gave us, I think, 12 minutes. And, um, you know, he, he beat me with, you know, uh, what was Edge's move? Thing, uh, flatliner. The flatliner, yeah. Like, rope, yeah, me on the top rope. So, um, it, it was great. So that's how I got in. But, like, Bubba and Taz, like, cornered me on the first night. And they were like, and I'm going to do a bad Taz. Yo, brother. Yo, I know you do this hardcore gimmick on the outlaws. You know, we have a lot of respect for what we do here. Like, you know, keep your nose clean. I'm thinking... My God, this is like a gimmick, like, <laughs> and I never felt like easy around those guys. And Tommy Rich treated me like crap, and all oh, the boys hated me. They hated me. Um, you know, the, the more you learn later in life, you're like, oh man, that guy really hated me. Like, I I had nuclear heat in the locker room because they thought it was a it was a real thing. They didn't even know that it was, you know, just it was just a character. That's amazing. Like, you, you did a lot of, as the, the gimmick sort of took off, you did a lot of quite crazy stuff. The, the, whose idea was it for you to get involved with the, the Limp Biscuit thing? Uh, that happened because uh, Sandman is a disgusting human being. Um, <laughs> he's awesome. But, like, Sandman had just come back. We were in Peoria, Illinois, and I was supposed to have a singles match with him. But I think Sandman was, like, in no shape to wrestle. And to know Sandman, like, that is hard to do. So a, a guy named Greg Bagarosi, who used to be our local promoter, said, hey, there's a band next door. Do you want to do something with them, you know, just so you got something to do? I said, yeah. And they said, you, well, you can only take two people because uh, – and I said, well, can we film this? And he said, let me go ask. So he goes out. He's like, yeah, whatever. And I look at Dreamer. I said – Man, like, who knows how this is? Like, it's a local band. Like, we'll just go over and I'll do some stuff and they'll hit me and balls and axe all get involved. And this should be easy. This is, um, you know, like, and maybe if it's cool enough, we can use it on a hardcore TV. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, cool. So I take Gabe Sapolsky as the cameraman. And we go up there and I, I make it like it's one long promo. And I go there and there's a, a shot where... And it's been years since I've seen it. But there was a shot where, like, I take the step out into the arena. And I realize, like, oh, there's <laughs> thousand people here. Not the 1,500 that are in the adjacent building watching ECW. I said, oh, man. But I'm like, this is a great opportunity. And I got up on stage. And one thing when we met the band, I remember that Fred Durst cursed a lot. And I thought you know what, I'm going to do everything I can to stop his cursing. Like, 
want to see this on television. And, and it ta- that was one thing that Taz taught me. In 1999, heels shouldn't curse because that's what a common man did. A common man would curse. You know, a, a common man's wrestler was Stone Cold Steve Austin or even Taz in, in ECW. They cursed. Well, a heel like myself or Kurt Angle got more over about like not cursing and trying to talk over than what we would do is if we curse. So I said to myself, I'm not going to curse and I'm going to try to get the television show over in a, like a, you know, weird plug. And I did. And it, it was so weird that the next day, like Paul calls me and says, you're not going to believe this. MTV news is covering it. I'm like, are you sure? And to turn on MTV and Kurt Loder's talking about how, a wrestler jumped on the Limp Bizkit stage. And this is how, like, my life is so awesome. The next week we're in Atlanta, and Dusty Rhodes had just gotten released from WCW, and he wanted to come watch the show. And we just, like, the promo that we did, if you go back and watch it, like, even Joey says, oh, we're, we're, we're don't worry, Dream, we're not filming this, because we didn't know if he had a full release or if it was going to be good, so... The idea for me and Dream's first thing was to be a dark, just for the house. Hmm. Yeah, like, look what it did for me. Um, but, like, that, like here I am on MTV News with my blonde hair and my, my, my beard and wearing a singlet in front of 15,000 people and talking about Barry Manilow and Britney Spears. And then the next week I'm, I'm taking an elbow from the American Dream Dusty Rhodes who – I would watch religiously every month from the first row of the second level of the old Philadelphia Civic Center. And I was like, this is craziness. This is, this is just, man, this is a little boy's dreams coming true. See, I would, um, this has worked nicely because the next thing I had written down was to ask you about your feud with Dusty. Because I remember we used to have to get ECW, um, we used to, have to buy it on tapes here. Um, for the longest time and I remember waiting until the tape came out with you and Dusty's uh, bull rope match on it and just being blown away by it especially like I mean Dusty wasn't a young man at that point either was he? And he was just I don't know what it was there was there was something afterwards he told Paul he said man I want to I want to work with this kid and he didn't have to do that he was Dusty Rhodes like I was no one I was literally no one I was a guy working the opening match with Chris Chetty and Nova a lot, or I would manage Rhino because they were teaching Rhino how to talk. And Tajiri, like, Lance Storm used to, like, rib me and call me a manager in tights. And I, here I am now working with the three-time NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Like, holy crap, this is, this is insane. Six months before, I was losing to Jazz and Francine on every house show. <laughs> and I'm, you know, living my dreams because to me, the old school, king of old school, anti hardcore character was great. But to, I could never figure what the payoff was because I was feuding with Taz on television where he, I was running away from him. And that was all cool. Like, and I had like a heat level of like seven. And then I was feuding with Dreamer on the house shows, and my heat level was seven because at the end of the day, they were ECW guys. They weren't old school guys. 
when Dusty came into ECW, he legitimized the character hmm. and had a, oh my goodness, this is going to be the guy that busts open Carino and makes him hardcore and he's going to have to do all this crazy stuff that here's the payoff finally. And, you know, about four weeks after Dusty came into ECW the first time, Paul says, how do you see this ending? And just knowing Paul the way that I did at that time, I thought, if I pitch my idea, he's going to go, well, I have this idea. But if I pitch my idea and I make it look like it was his originally, (laughs) I said, Paul, do you remember that time we were talking and you loved the old Texas bull rope matches? And he's like, I did. I go, I think you, I think you were right. And we should finish it like that. He's like, you are right. And I'm like, Oh my God, it worked. (laughs) Yeah. So I came up with the bull rope match and we got there and Dream goes, do you have any ideas? I said, uh, you know, I'm still young. I go, yeah. He goes, no, no, what's your ideas? And I mapped it out. And he goes, all right, let's do it. I go, what? He goes, let's do it exactly the way you want. I said, you got to be kidding me. So, yeah, here, here's Dusty Rhodes letting me call the match. And, I like, I don't cry much. It, like, only when, like, the notebook is on and... <laughs> Inside Out gets me a little bit. You're a new dad. Wow, Inside Out is going to crush you. I've heard this. I'm going to avoid it for that reason. <laughs> yeah, for as long as possible. Yeah, Bing Bong will ruin your day. <laughs> so I, I walk back after the match, and Paul grabs me, takes me aside, and he gives me a hug. And it's something I'll never forget. He said, that was better than anything that him and Tully did. And I thought, <sighs> wow, Tully was my first favorite heel as a kid. And... To hear your boss say that, and he didn't know Tully was my, I don't know, Paul knows everything. So Paul probably knew that was <laughs> my butt because he knew it would scar me for life later. Um, but yeah, that was like the greatest thing. And I remember walking and like Jack Victory looked at me and he said, go in that locker room. And it was like a, a closet. And I went in and I bawled my eyes out. And like, it was like a culmination of everything that I from the time that I watched Georgia Championship Wrestling for the first time when I was eight years old to being 27 and wrestling on pay-per-view against Dusty Rhodes in an ECW ring and Paul Paulie dangerously telling me that it was better than what him and Tully did. And it was probably a lie, but man, Paul could, oh, man, he, he could talk you into anything. Like, I, I, I joke, and like I said it to him at WrestleMania Access. I said, Paul, I don't know how you do it, but like, I would have invaded Poland for you, man. You know, for all you history buffs, that's a good joke. But, like, he was such a great manipulator that he could just bring out the best in you. And, you know, it, it was just an amazing. It was an amazing ride that I'm still on to this day, 17 years later. I mean, did it... And I know titles, winning titles isn't necessarily always the... the the be all and end all for a lot of wrestlers, but did it did it mean a lot to you when you you won the ECW title? It it would have under different circumstances. Sure. And unfortunately, at the time, you know, um, W was going through the issues, and um, you know, guys weren't getting paid, and we were doing this, and Paul was trying so hard to to save the company, mm-hmm. but it, it just we saw it, and I, I believe. <clears throat> Excuse me. I believe to this day, 
and this is what I was told, was just incredible was supposed was supposed to get the belt back that night. And but Justin Sandman and Jerry Lynn all had breach of contract claims in. I didn't. I was going to because I wanted to see where it was going. Mm. But I also wanted ECW to live because I didn't want it to do. I, you know, like, did I want to go to WWF? Did I want to go to WCW? Like, man, I worked so hard to be at the top of the card. I wanted to see this thing through. And I, I think I was given the title just because I was the safest guy to give it to. Sure. And, um, you know, so that took a lot. And, you know, there's, I, I won't say because, you know, the guy's a friend of mine now, but there was a time when one of the, one of the, the top, one of the top guys we were having issues and it was more of a he said she said thing by other people like kind of and we were we should have known better to listen to other people and not just like sit down and say hey man why are you treating me this way well i'm hearing this and this and this and this said to me like you're only getting the title because those guys are elite. and i thought oh you took it all you know you took all the fun out of it and but it, you know, to think back now, it was it was an amazing honor to to hold that t- that that title that you know Raven held and Shane Douglas and yeah man and Terry Funk and you know people joke about the the WWE version of ECW, but man, people would look up the old ECW then, and it, it got me a few more years of legitimacy and you know me and mr mcmahon have held the same championship <laughs> and i've never even thought about it like that that is that um, is amazing yeah people listening to it are gonna be like Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um you mentioned wcw were you nearly in wcw right at the back end of it yeah yeah i was so close because dusty had left after our feud he went back to wcw and he was like advising me like kid you know you got to get out of there you know this and that and i can help you and um at the time you know wcw was going through a possible sale so like you know i come in but i had never done it like once ecw was done then it was basically ride out wcw for a little bit and like no one even knew like i think i went to one television taping and uh that was it I, I sat at home and I started in Japan, March of two thousand one. Um, I have many questions about Japan, which we will come to in a second. I'll sort of quickly um, touch on your time with with Ring of Honor because you had two sort of two big stints with them, um, including one of my favourite rivalries ever, which is you and Homicide, um, which I still have quite a lot of DVDs with that on. I think you had, I know you were in sort of in and out of Ring of Honor, but you had sort of almost a, a four-year rivalry with Homicide. And it feels, people don't tend to have rivalries for that amount of time as much anymore. So it must have been, it must have been quite an undertaking to sort of, sort of stretch it out for that long, but also keep the intensity to it, I suppose. Well, it was because um, I was a Dusty guy. He was a Terry Funk guy. And... Like, we developed, and this is how, like, your wrestling can be sometimes. How, like, it can make you wrestling crazy. We developed the, you know, quote-unquote, shoot feud. And, like, we sat down, and I, I was giving them, hey, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what, you know, I think you should do. And we had got my sister, Alice in Danger, involved with a, 
you know, quote unquote, leaked email to Gabe once. And just to build up that, because on paper, I didn't think Steve Carino versus Homicide was a, was a, a draw. Mm. And I thought, okay, how do we make it a draw? And, uh, you know, so we created, I created this like mystique that me and Homicide literally did not like each other to the point where we wouldn't talk in the locker room. We would be on different sides of the locker room. It would get to the point where there was tension in the locker room and like I could feel the tension and I kept trying to, I'd have to remind myself every once in a while. I'm like, you're working here, man. Like you guys are working and like, you're going and meeting in a closet to talk over your match and no one knows. Like <laughs> so it was, it was, uh, it, it was weird to play with your mind that much. And it, it made me think of, like a Terry Funk and Dusty Rhodes that would feud with each other in a territory where they couldn't be in the same locker room all the time. They were doing these intense promos and there's blood. You think like you get lost in the work. And there's times when I thought homicide and I did to the point where we both complained to Gabe about each other. Like he's being unsafe. Well, he's being unsafe. He's doing this. He's doing that. And I like, I had to sit there and I think, Oh my god! Like, why are we talking to Gabe? Like, why aren't we just talking to each other? And then we each other, and everything was fine. It was just—I was always in control of the pace of the feud. I would be in Japan 20, 26 weeks a year, so it was very easy for me to come like hit and run and do a little bit of the feud, but never give the the end. You know, do a little bit of the feud, never give the end. And we always had it like there would be one one last match. And we had it planned to do after he had won the title. But Gabe wanted to do it before. And like I literally said, if you do this, you're going to kill the feud because everybody's going to know that he's going to beat me. And it's the end. And there, there's no climax to it because he's wrestling Brian in a couple weeks. Mm. No, 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 and it ended up being really crappy. So um, it, it really did. It ended up being really crappy. There was a promo shot that night. Like I didn't want the last match being in Philadelphia. I wanted it to be in New York because sure. besides the New York guy, our first match was in New York, and you know, one day I'll bring it up to Gabe. <laughs> is it is it outside of the sort of dusty? Um, rivalry is it? Is it one of your sort of most memorable rivalries? Would you say it is because um, we fooled a lot of people, mm. you know. And still to this day, people will ask me like, "Do you homicide still hate each other?" And I'm like, "What? Oh yeah, 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 yeah." Heck, heck <laughs> that guy. And like, you're yo homicide said this about you, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah," and then I'm thinking. Oh man, he's still working. And then I'm thinking, is he? And that's the fun part of wrestling: is where does reality end and the it is? I think it is. It's it's genuinely fascinating when people still want to bring up rivalries, and and the fans are always obsessed with the the inner workings of stuff, and, and almost want the gossip, don't they? I think quite a lot of the time. Oh yeah, it's it's the we see what's going on, but we've heard that there's some behind the scenes things. Yeah, and it's just that 
even if it's not real, it's the idea that you're inside. And, and some people like that because to some people, they can watch wrestling for the storyline that they see on television and they can accept it. And then there's guys that they watch everything, but they kind of know how the magic's made. So they want more information. And that means reading the observer or, you know, talking about it on Twitter. And so tackle drop down hip toss isn't going to appeal to them as opposed to 10 false finishes. Mm. Now, does make one better than the other? No, because it's still pro wrestling at the end of the day. Like for me, I'm a baseball fan and I love baseball. Like we're talking now and I'm glancing at the Cleveland Indians and New York Yankees. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Touches up like, Okay, they're up five nothing. Is Cleveland going to throw him a curveball, or are they going to pitch around him? Whereas my wife would be watching it and saying, "I love their uniforms." You know, it's just you know, we, we a smart market is just a, a derogatory term for a fan that wants more information. Yeah, yeah, and that's a better way of looking at it. The, the the family that goes once a year to the WWE in their town, it's just. They love it so much that the information that they're given, they want more and more and more. And I, I think that's where the, the the work shoot can really fuel their creativity because everybody's an armchair booker. Hmm. And that's so cool because it's creativity. Whereas I, I play the show on PS4, as you know, yes. my only game. And I will literally write down stuff. Like, okay, this game here, this game, oh, I'm, I got this picture, so I have to analyze this. And it just enhances the love that you have for the things that you love. Yeah, I think that's, that's a healthy, that's a much more healthy attitude. Um, you mentioned Japan um, and spending a lot of time in Japan, and it's certainly in the, the mid-noughties. Um, was it a place that you enjoyed? Because I know some people love it over there, really get on there, and, and some people find it difficult. I loved it. I, I loved it. I spent eight years in the, the Zero One office. I was there two weeks on, two weeks off. It was. It, I felt like I had two different lives. I had like one life in the in the U.S. and one life in Japan, and um, it was it was great. I, I was I was working in an office with Shinya Hashimoto for four years mm. before he passed away. I was wrestling with Masato Tanaka. A couple times a tour, who I knew from ECW, and Sinjiro Tani, and every once in a while a Fujiwara or a Choshu would come through. And I was, you, know, you talked about getting tapes from ECW. Well, before I got into wrestling, tape trade when I, when I discovered tape trading, like it, there was a time when like wait, there's tape trading, and what the heck is the wrestling? Observer? What the heck is the wrestling? Observer? This is amazing, right? I, before I became a wrestler, I was that fan that wanted more. Sure. So I would tape trade. Um, you know, I was uh, like, I call it tape trading. I was just basically buying. I, I would buy all Japan, New Japan uh, television VHSs. And, Likewise. <laughs> and um, every once in a while, FMW. And it was funny. It was as many scars as I have on me. I was never a huge hardcore fan. I was. I was an all Japan, new Japan fan. So working there full time and getting to see these guys and the culture. And just like I, you know, I was telling you about Puerto Rico, the culture of Puerto Rican uh, people 
same thing with Japan. Like the the culture of Japan is so rich and and mysterious and so much fun to learn and everything you know their history and their, their present and why people acted a certain way as opposed to how Americans act or how British or you know how Finnish people act. It's it just to me it was just another aspect of the milkman that got to go to the Jersey Shore one week out of the year is now in Japan, the land of the rising sun, 26 weeks a year. Like I was just, I I always took the opportunity to step back and say, whoa, Mm. this is fun. And that's a a really healthy thing to do because I often forget to do that. And it is, you know, if you want to be around wrestling and you're getting to do cool wrestling stuff, you do need to take time to, to appreciate it, don't you? Well, absolutely. And it, it could be just experience something. Like if you're an independent wrestler and you're struggling, think about the town that you're going to this week weekend. And it's what's unique about that town. Like what, what special store that you can come go into and – buy an apple pie that you can only buy in that town. That to, that to me, that's a moment I remember for forever. And so I always look at things like that where me, I every day and it, it, I don't care if it sounds markish because I love pro wrestling. I walk in every day and I look and I go, wow, I work in the WWE Performance Center. Like <laughs> this thing or I'll look at the table and I'll I'll see a Terry Taylor and a Robbie Brookside and a Scott, a Scotty Tuhati and, and, and Shawn Michaels and Norman Smiley and Sarah Amato and Matt Bloom. And I say, holy crap, like, I work with these people. Like, this is, this is great. And I, I went to the, the Hall of Fame this year for the first time. I got to take my wife. And let me tell you something, guys. If you have a wife that doesn't watch wrestling but is very supportive of everything you do, the Hall of Fame is the greatest day of your life because you can be the biggest wrestling nerd you could, and your wife gets to wear a dress. Like, you have everything covered. And she, you're happy. She doesn't care how long Diamond Dallas Page's speech is. She wants another glass of wine and can show off her new – I don't even know how much she spent on the dress. You don't care. Because she's happy, you're happy. Moment. <laughs> um, there's a question I've got to ask you about Japan, and this is something I was talking to a friend of mine about the other day. Um, so obviously, you work for Zero One, um, a, a fantastic promotion, but um, you also worked for Hustle, which is yes. insane. I worked in the office of Hustle. It, too. It, it's it's one of the most. I remember the first time I ever saw video of it and thinking, this is the most nuts wrestling promotion I've ever seen. Yeah. It was insane. Like, I would sit in the booking meeting and I would literally look around the table and say, wait, we're doing what? <laughs> That's Takata over there. You're Takata. Wait, wait, Tenru's in on this? you got to be kidding me. Like, where's the, you know, Ashton, Ashton, where's the, you know, I'm being pumped. And yeah, we do it and I would just sit there and go, unbelievable but it was it was amazing like me and brian kendrick would have the best times just looking around saying this is is crazy right yeah it's really crazy like we're we're in a dream right like yeah yeah and um 
Yeah, it was it was insane. I I got to teach Warren Cromarty, who was a old baseball player, how to wrestle Tiger Jit Singh. <laughs> I mean, just that sentence alone, I think, sums up the craziness of it. Was it was it a Japanese company trying to replicate sports entertainment and just going completely the other way? Oh, it was Pride. The 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 Dream Stage Entertainment Company was the ones that were behind Hustle. Oh, of course, yeah. And they they wanted to be what they thought the WWE was. And I'm thinking, I don't know, man. I think you got way above and beyond the ridiculous the WWE's ever done. Like Kawada sang. Anybody, <laughs> <laughs> but it, he he went out there and sang. It's it's genuinely one of the craziest things. We've spoken about it on this podcast a few times. It's just it, it's so difficult to describe unless you see it because it's so crazy. It's bizarre. It's unpolitical. <laughs> unpolitical correct. Like once in a while, I'll see a, a show pop up on YouTube, but the houses were packed and people accepted it, and oh, it was it was a bizarre world. It was an alternate universe to my alternate universe um you mentioned that you you've sort of ended up in the office and and part of booking with you know when you're in puerto rico and in japan and 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 stuff like that um presumably was it something you always wanted to be involved in or was it just that people realized you'd got a good brain for wrestling and then just wanted to have you involved on that side um sometimes it ended up being more of luck whereas Mm -hmm. Not luck of, like, I was the right place at the right time, is they had somebody else in mind, and they realized, like, that person was clueless. You know, in in Puerto Rico, um, times were rough, and Carlos was running out of ideas, and he was still doing 1987 ideas, but it was 2008, and he needed something new. And, you know, he had asked me what I thought of a show, and I, I gave him my notes. And he said, well, why don't you come down and help book? Okay, cool, cool. Whereas Japan, like, uh, somebody else was booking the Americans at the time, and he was just, you know, just screwing up royally, always. And Hashimoto had asked me about a finish. The first day I met him, he had asked me about a finish. He goes, what do you think we're here? And, man, I, like, up until I met Kevin Sullivan, I didn't realize, like, I'm a... I'm an Eddie Graham guy without ever knowing who Eddie Graham... Without knowing Eddie Graham personally. Mm -hmm. Whereas... I come up with a finish I come up with from the uh, comeback on, and it's elaborate, and there's this and that, and I guess it's being around Dusty and being around Kevin Sullivan and and these guys that I learned those long finishes. So I came up with this finish for Hashimoto, and he just stared at me. He's like, oh, you have good brain. I said, a little bit. He's like, "Uh, I want you to work in office. So, you know, like I would would help book in Japan in – come up with these things just to try and spark business. And so, like, I always wanted to, like, when I was a little kid before the LGN figures, like, I had my action, Star Wars action figures, and I never watched Star Wars, but I would write down notebook after notebook after notebook of what I thought were angles and and stuff like that. So I I guess... um, um, you know, I, I just always wanted to do it and always wanted to be involved in it. And I had an old school mind, but I also believed in the evolution of the business. So I, I like new school ideas, even going back to Ring of Honor. And one day I'll put this in a book where the whole 
<clears throat> Carino BJ Whitmer saga that went on for three, four years, like why that went on so long and where it was actually going. And the next time you come to Florida, we, we have to go for coffee. And I have to tell you this, like it blew Bloom's mind the one time that I told him. <laughs> I wanted to get drug tested right after. <laughs> How like, and elaborate that it ended up becoming. And, um, uh, you know, it, it's just, I, I, I love stories. I, I love layers to stories. And I, I think pro wrestling gives us that ability to really treat professional wrestling and a storyline as the never ending story. And you can shuffle in a lot of BS as you can, as long as you shovel in a little bit of legitimacy every once in a while that we believe in Santa Claus for that little bit, you know. We all know that Santa Claus isn't real, but we're going to accept him for real because we want him to be real. So I, I believe that I, I was a real good layer person, and mm. probably still am. Don't don't let the rumors fool you. <laughs> um, a couple of last little things before I, I let you go and get on with presumably watching baseball for most of the evening. Um, I, you know. I've had an hour and a half of sleep today, too. Oh, in that case, sleep is the more important thing. Um, but um, so, just your experience of the, of the UK, because obviously the UK is particularly hot at the minute. Um, but sort of your experience of coming over and wrestling in the UK, sort of who you did it for, and what sort of time period, really? I have wrestled for so many different companies in the UK. It started with <laughs> this is going to this is going to be fun. The first time I was supposed to come over to England was 2001, after ECW, for a member Wrestle Express. Yes. Oh, that big fiasco. And it was going to be me versus Mr. Perfect. And uh, it, was, it was awesome. And, of course, it all blew up. And Scott Conway, who um, uh, he, was, he took over for Wrestle Express and still brought over a few guys. You know, um, him and FWA, and he got me a few dates and stuff like that. And then from there, I, I wrestled for FWA, did a, a cool feud with Alex Shane um, for a little bit in like 03, 04. And it based off a reality of him uh, burying me on his radio show about not coming over for the Ring of Honor versus FWA show. Wow. And at the time, instead of, instead of, taking the money i stayed with the storyline i was not like an roh guy i was like in and out but i was going to be on the list to go over to be like roh versus fwa and i said to both gabe and alex i said i because it doesn't make sense for what i'm doing and man he like crapped on me on his radio show and this and then like, I guess one day he had, like, a clarity of, like, you know what? It didn't make sense. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, man, I'm going to go on my radio show and apologize. You know, I, I was wrong. And I said, don't do that. <laughs> like, why don't we make this a feud? And it, it did well. It, did, it, it, was, it was good. It was fun. Like, one of the biggest pops I ever got was I was a surprise and I interfere, interfered in a Mark Sloan match, which he never forgave me for, and ducked out of a, a clothesline finish once later. Um, and, um, yeah, well, him. So, uh, yeah, so, like, I interfered, and, like, no one knew I was there, and I shot a promo and wrestled Doug Williams later, and then 
the ill-fated 1PW. I, I booked 1PW when it was really good. Um, I was that guy. And before Gauntly started really shady. But, like, we had some cool shows. Like, mm. we, people don't realize we did... Uh, and this was a time when Gauntly would read... Oh, uh, what was that? There was a big message board from UK Wrestling. Um, man, he lived on it. Like, my morning would start because... You know, England being five hours ahead would be, oh my God, did you read what was on the message board? I'm like, every morning I would start with, what message board? Like, what <laughs> message boards? Like, we are packing the house right now. Why can't we listen to the fans that are packing the house? Um, and of course, he's fighting with fans. And, but I advertised one of my, my favorite angle I ever booked in England was for the first anniversary show. We booked Christopher Daniels versus Dustin Rhodes. And, like, people, I don't know if people remember it as much, but people hated, like, people booed when we announced that match. <laughs> and, but I had already had it in my mind what we were going to do. And the weekend, like, they would always have those fan fests, and I had them film together eating, like, you know, breaking kayfabe. Um, eating together at McDonald's because that McDonald's near the Doncaster Dome had screwed me over the last time. So I'm like, my idea was that they had gotten food poisoning. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm spiking. <laughs> and that they got food poisoning and the match was going to be canceled. So I had the ring announcer say, ladies and gentlemen, and, you know, we had like a, a, like a Titan Tron. So it played like an ambulance thing like at a hospital that we filmed the night before. And I was just hoping that the weather would be the same or my, my sham would be sham. And we, it went down and people were booing that they weren't getting the match. Like, remember the month before when we announced it, they were mad that we announced the match. Like no one wanted to see Daniels versus gold dust or Daniels versus Rhodes. So I waited and I'm sitting at, at the, um, the sound booth. I said, wait, Wait, wait. I go, hit it. We hit the music, and it was Curry Man's music. <laughs> so Curry Man comes down, and the place is just rocking. And once we bring the music down, I'm just waiting. Everybody knew what was coming. Man, when we hit Gold Dust music, the place went nuts. And then they ruined it. Uh, but, yeah, that was, like, awesome memories. And then working for WAW uh, with the Knights and just having some fun times there and you know, I, I just, uh, I mean, I, I, I've been to England uh, 32 times. Oh, wow. Yeah, right? Crazy. And uh, But I loved it. Every time I've, I've loved it. I've, I've taken great memories and met friends that have, you know, lasted all this time and did some crazy stuff and that we probably can't talk about. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like, it's just, you know, it's just a great time. And UK fans, like... You know, people always talk about like, oh, UK fans are loud and they're crazy and this like, but man, that's that's what people in the states strive to to perform in front of these these crazy football style fans that will, not, you know, I don't know if they drink beer in the the, the venues or what. Like, they man, definitely do in us. they're they're ready to fight and they're ready to cry and they're ready to hug you and they're ready to buy your merchandise and they get into every little thing and they come up with these these crazy chants that you, you'd never hear anywhere else and 
you just love it. Like, because they come to wrestling to have a good time. Mm -hmm. If the match is good, heck, that's a bonus, right? Like, but look what they've been fed for years. Mm -hmm. Finley, Regal, Brookside, Saint, Stephen Wright, you know, uh, Rollerball, Rocco, you know, Johnny Kidd, like, and I'm going to miss a million great wrestlers. Of course, the attractions, Big Daddy, but look at the great wrestling that World of Sport put on. But watch the fans having fun and enjoying themselves. You, like, I'll watch Brookside watch a football match and just, like, I can see the excitement in his body watching it on television and watching the fans do that. Like, I wish... All fans would just have that much fun and just enjoy what they what they love. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to enjoy what you love. If you're an American wrestling fan listening to this podcast, take a page out of a British show and just love what you love. And don't be afraid to tell people like, hey, man, I love pro wrestling. I don't care if you don't, but I love it. And I'm going to scream and I'm going to boo and I'm going to get drunk and I'm going to I'm going to buy merchandise that I'm going to forget at the venue and I'm not even going to let it. I'm going to just have the time of my life because that's what we do it for. The the buzz. Um, I I don't think I could ever sum up wrestling better than you've just done that. That's brilliant. Um, Last question for you um, before I let you get some rest. Um, So obviously now you're a trainer at at the Performance Centre, but you were still wrestling sort of 2016 so do you is it the case that you can look across the performance center on any given day and think i've wrestled that guy and that guy and that guy is, is it the case that you've wrestled a lot of those guys not really because um like i look at my class and uh like right now i've only ever wrestled one in my class where is you know other guys like a roderick strong or uh, an Adam Cole or something like that, that like, to me that I, I don't even think of it anymore because I don't have the wrestling bug. Like I, yeah. I have, I, I don't come back to my, my apartment and put on my boots and say, do I still have one more run in me? To me, I went out the greatest way I could. The, the, the son of the man that made me took me out. Like Cody Rhodes ending my career was the greatest way that you could write me out. So, sure. so to me, I don't have that bug of, man, I wish I was still a talent and stuff like that. I, every day I walk in and I say, this is great. Like, I want to see a Kona Reeves or a Babatunde or a Fabian Eichner um, or an Adrian Jowd or a Cesar Bononi. Or I want to see these guys live just half the life that I did or half the career I did because – you know, yeah, I, I want everybody to experience the the luck and the love that I, I've had for wrestling. And now, for me as a as a coach, you know, I can I can teach a hundred percent. I can watch Brookside teach a hundred percent and Smiley teach a hundred percent, and with no regrets. Like they give love of industry to everybody that comes into their classes, and I think that it's such a great positive outlook for their career like they can look back in the performance center and say man i don't know there's like a a tie for how who loved the business more 
and we'll say Brookside, Smiley, Taylor, Kareem, Michaels, Bloom, Amato, Garland, um, all these guys that love the business so much that that's what we're trying to pass on more than anything. Hmm. I think that's a, it's, a, it's a healthy thing to pass on. Um, listen, um, I really appreciate you doing this uh, because – I've wanted to, ever since I first met you, I've wanted to have you on because I know how enthusiastic you are about wrestling. And I think that's really come across in the, the sort of hour and bit that we've been chatting. Um, before I let you go, is there anything you would like to plug, be it your Twitter account or anything like that? Oh, I don't know. It's been so long. Like, <laughs> I always think that, like, the, the day I signed with WWE, like, the hustle was over for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at WWE Carino. And, um, you know, don't be afraid to when you listen to this and tell me what your memories are of wrestling. I, I love hearing people uh, talk about like their love of wrestling. So, you know, I, that's the only thing. Like my, um, you know, my, my Facebook is basically just you know to see um, baby pictures of uh, my, my family, I love you. Uh, I hope that was for me. And um, so, you know, like, so Twitter's the, my, my thing. Like, Instagram, I, I really don't I really don't put stuff on there because you can put it on Twitter. And, yeah, oh, that was, a, that was the toughest question you asked me. <laughs> so WWE Carino on Twitter. Um, and pe- people need to send you their memories. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a website anymore. I don't have a Pro Wrestling Tees store anymore. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, Steve. Literally no hustle anymore. I like it. I like I like how relaxed you are about it as well. It's cool. Yeah. Um, listen, um, Steve. Thank you so much for chatting to me, man. I'm going to let you go, um, but uh, I appreciate this, and I'll probably think of more questions and probably have to do a part two at some point in the future. Let's do it in person at my apartment with some Wawa. Yeah, let's do that. Listen, thanks a lot, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, dude. Thank you once again to the wonderful Steve Carino for spending some time chatting to me last night. I really, really appreciate it. There will be a part two, which we'll do in person rather than over Skype, just because he's a great dude. He's so positive and so enthusiastic about wrestling. Um, Just a a great guy and someone that I really genuinely enjoy the company of. So thank you again to Steve for that. He's at WWE Carino on Twitter. I am at Jim Smallman on Twitter. Use the hashtag Tuesday Night Jaw. If you want to ask me a question to do with wrestling, because that way I'll definitely see it. Um, Once again, quick little plugs on the back of this. Check out everything on the Distraction Pieces Network, uh, the Screwy Spooks Distraction Pieces podcast, um, Hardcore Listing, uh, Stop and Search, Say Why to Drugs. They're all great podcasts. Check them all out. uh, you can follow uh, D Pieces Network on Twitter if you would like to be updated as what's come out every week because not every podcast comes out every week. I try and put one out every week. Pip always puts one out every week and, and uh, the other guys try and put one out as often as they can. So follow D Pieces Network on Twitter. Um, jimsmore.com slash TNJ is where you point new listeners to this uh, so you've got all the information how to subscribe through various means plus you know you can buy the merch and stuff like that through that link jimsmoreman.com slash TNJ and progresswrestling.com demand-progress.com for all the stuff from a little wrestling company right that's it thanks again to Steve Carino thank you for listening and I'll see you next week see you later guys 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.